climate smart. It's a phrase that the U.S. Department of Agriculture put out there when it introduced the Partnerships for Climate Smart Commodities programs in September of 2022. Eight months later, and these dollars are now hitting the ground. I'm Stephanie Hoff for the Midwest Farm Report. Through this program, the USDA is investing more than $3 billion for 141 different conservation projects, a handful of these in Wisconsin. Bruce Knight is the principal and founder of Strategic Conservation Solutions, also a former chief of the Natural Resources Conservation Service, or NRCS, and he gives some perspective on how these projects are going to influence American agriculture. He expects to already see an impact of these partnerships by mid-fall, specifically around cover crops. So you're going to start to see these grants have an impact on, say, cover crop plantings and decisions by fall. You will have an impact on some farmer participation by midsummer and fall. I've tried to look at it as an as a independent observer on this for a couple of our clients. One of those clients is, uh, is the seed industry. It's really looking at what is this going to mean for cover crops. I view personally cover crops as something that may be included in most of these 140 grants. It's a, it's a relatively easy conservation practice to put on ground. It's one that most anybody can implement. And with a relatively short time period, I would see it happening. I would expect it to generate maybe 10 to 12 million acres of additional cover crops around the country. And there's already somewhere in that neighborhood of 18 to 22 million acres of cover crops today. So that could be a significant increase in, in cover crops. I see a slow uptake. In 2023, probably peaking in 2024, 2025. And I think it's reasonable to assume 24, 25, 26 will be when most of these grants really peak on implementation. He says these climate smart dollars will also have an impact on the dairy industry. I also looked at the grants from the aspect of what would mean for another one of my clients, which was the dairy industry. And we found 11 grants that are directed specifically at dairy. I saw another 10 grants that mentioned dairy, but I think on several of those, uh, a grant writer threw the word dairy in, but couldn't recognize a jersey from Holstein, and I don't think those are going to be meaningful on those. I, I actually identified between 10 and 12 additional grants that aren't targeted at dairy, but will have huge impact for dairy farms as it pertains to feed production which is really how you're going to impact a lot of the greenhouse gases on that. It's interesting, there's two grants in there that are targeted specifically at feed management. And that's going to be very interesting because they're betting on the come. FDA has product approvals in process that could put new products in the line that would have a 20 to 30% reduction in greenhouse gas emissions associated with feed additives in the marketplace about a year from now. And I think those grants are expecting to be able to utilize that program to make that offer to to dairy farms. That's the kind of interesting innovation that should be coming out of these climate smart grants as you as you move forward on them and as they continue to continue to be developed, um, not just for dairy, but for crops and for for every one of those things. These climate smart commodities agreements range from $250,000 to $100 million. And projects have two partners, 
to dozens and dozens as changes happen within these diverse farms, cooperatives, and companies. Bruce Knight expects to see a market impact across several areas. They lump up in several buckets that I'll share with you that might might help you think about how these could impact as you're as you're seeing them in your your states or with your constituencies. Some of these are pre-competitive grants. These are a conglomeration of, say, a, a checkoff or a industry that is working on things before it gets into the marketplace. So there's a bucket around that. There's another bucket that are, in fact, competitive grants that were awarded where companies are intending to use these market claims to differentiate their product in the marketplace. They're going to claim that their widget has less of a GHG, greenhouse gas impact, than anybody else's widget in the marketplace, and therefore some consumer somewhere should pay more money. That is the theory of change that folks at USDA are wanting to incite and to encourage. And so there's a handful of them that are in that. I look across this and I see both conventional agriculture and organic, both funded, and both funded in a fairly significant way. But I also look across this and I see both conventional agriculture and non-conventional alternatives, non-meat alternatives, non-dairy alternatives. Each of those are also in there. Not a very large number, but yet they're each in there with an opportunity to potentially make claims. Those are going to be interesting things to see what happens over the next, the next two or three years. There's a handful of claims also funded on insetting associated with scope three commodity or scope three claims on carbon, a handful on marketing claims, handful on product promotion. But I think is most significantly is I've done a lot of work over the last few years on carbon markets and been watching those dozen or so carbon markets that are emerging around the country. Most of those carbon markets took a pass on this and didn't apply. Several of them are partnering now with them, but there's only a handful of those that were there. And I think that's somewhat intentional on their part, but also somewhat intentional at USDA, because I think they were trying to intentionally cause more of these market claim efforts as they come out. Here in Wisconsin, we have several farmers who are known as early adopters. They've been implementing conservation and trying out new practices since before Climate Smart was cool. I asked Bruce Knight what's in this USDA program for those early adopters. The Climate Smart grants were specifically encouraged to have provisions for early adopters. Now comes about as they're moving forward how to how to address that. Traditionally, what we've seen over the last couple of years on the carbon markets that have been developed carbon markets have been discriminating against early adopters because they're paying for change. And, and that's what the private sector, the society has been willing to pay in those private sectors. So, so that's understandable, and that's an attribute that a voluntary carbon market can establish, but is it reach the societal objectives that folks are wanting? Uh, jury's completely out on whether the Climate Smart grants have, have bridged that. 
I also encourage farmers that are, that are in that early adopter stage. Many of them, if they're wanting to participate in the carbon market, can add cover crops as a new change, and that makes them eligible. Uh, many of them can use CSP at NRCS to do additional things that, that helps. So there's, there's ways to do that if you're motivated, but this has always been in my life of working in conservation, always the challenge that programs are always trying to catch up with early adopters in conservation. And uh, it has just been the nature of the business, I'm afraid. As he said earlier, he expects to see a lot of growth in cover crops with this Climate Smart Commodities program. But how will livestock farmers take advantage of these dollars? He explains where the opportunity lies for them. There's going to be great opportunities in livestock over the next, the next several years. It's complicated in that as it pertains to conservation, the livestock community is also very, very conservative. So some of the folks that have been most resistant to programs and policies on climate have tended to come from often a livestock tradition, partially because livestock also has greater regulatory regime associated with comprehensive nutrient management plans and and water quality. But I'm optimistic. I'm optimistic because of feed management technologies being easily modeled, measured, and new products reliably showing a 20 to 30 percent reduction in enteric fermentation emissions associated with a simple addition to the feed. I see a great deal of opportunity around digesters, where folks are trying to put digesters in to be able to sell credits into California and the low-carbon fuel standard. That's been very, very vibrant. We also believe that in the rush towards LCFS and the push towards digesters, folks have overlooked the fact that you could simply put caps on top of lagoons on both swine and dairy and any wet manure waste and simply flare it off. You don't have to go all the way to the digester and be able to make a lot of improvements on climate emissions that would fit on that operation with, say, 200 cows to 1,000 that a digester doesn't work on. I think that is an overlooked technology that is that is out there. I also believe that advanced manure management and advanced recovery strategies have not fully been factored into in the emissions associated with manure management. So I'm I'm very very optimistic about what the next decade means for uh, for livestock agriculture. I'm really encouraged when I look at cover crops the degree to which integration of livestock with cover crops is understood and is making an integrated livestock operation that grazes cover crops much more popular than it, uh, than it used to be. If you're a producer who's just getting started in conservation, Bruce Knight has some advice for where to start and who to partner with. My advice for a farmer that's interested, especially in the climate markets, I wouldn't bet on one of them. I would bet on multiples. If I'm inclined to get in, I would get in with two or three of them. It's almost the, the additional pain is not that great. There's a, a little over a dozen of these climate markets floating around with different claims. They aren't all going to be there five years from now. 
We know that. We just don't know which ones aren't. But there will be climate markets five and ten years from now. The other thing is because of the early actor provisions and the additionality, you have to make change. So a, a early actor in conservation like myself, every year I put something new on conservation on the ground, I miss the opportunity to sell that carbon credit. So for folks that are in that early actor role, it's painful, but I, I would get in now, but I would diversify it. And I'd, I'd bet on multiple, multiple markets. They would be, I would be evaluating them on transparency, on willingness to share their contracts publicly, not maintaining confidentiality. I would also look to have portability of my attributes if I found that one of those markets didn't uh, go well and I wanted to move to another one, I would make sure that I had the ability to do that and I wouldn't sign a contract with one that didn't give me that. Looking ahead, it's not a far out idea that the Climate Smart Commodities Program could result in a food label. AMS, the Ag Marketing Service, has the ability, should anybody request a claim, to actually create a claim associated with Climate Smart, just like there are on grass-fed, never ever three, on hormone, all of those things that could rationalize and standardize that market. I'm expecting those to occur out of this process. That's Bruce Knight, a former chief of the Natural Resources Conservation Service, or NRCS, and today the principal and founder of Strategic Conservation Solutions, offering a glimpse at what we can expect to come out of these climate-smart commodities partnerships. For the Midwest Farm Report, I'm Stephanie Hoff.